0: We want you to know you absolutely matter to God, and you absolutely matter to us. Everyone is welcome and wanted. Now, let's join today's teaching. How many How many? just raise your hand if you were raised in uh, some version of Sunday school or VBS children? Yeah, yeah. So if I said words like felt board and uh, overhead projector, uh, yeah, coloring sheets, you'd know. You know what I'm talking about. This this is probably what uh, uh, felt board would look like. All the images of Daniel in the lion's den are this de- uh, depictions of this sort of ruddy uh, young adult, uh, looks just out of puberty, and uh, or maybe you're of a certain generation where Daniel uh, looked closer to a cucumber than uh, than what you. <laughs> And maybe this is intentional. Maybe it was sort. Maybe it was a bad reading of of scripture. It's not exactly obvious in the text until you start cross referencing extra biblical history and whatnot. And it, so Daniel one, yeah, starts with a young man, and then just a few chapters later, we're in chapter six, and you might think he's still a young adult. Uh, and maybe it helps the kids to relate. Well, he's. He's not that much older than me. Uh, maybe I can be courageous too. Now, uh, I'm a pastor, and I didn't I didn't know this until I, I started studying this. Which in this last chapter of his biography, and then the next the next half of Daniel gets into his prophecy. When Daniel was thrown into the lion's den, we're pretty sure that he was. Are you ready for this? At least ninety years old. Okay. Um, not so much close to Hunter's age, closer to Beryl's age and Dr. Uh, Bill's age and um, um, Steve Briggs' age. No, no, no. You'd think he'd earned like a little rest and relaxation in these retirement years, but God still was using this faithful prophet. Can I tell you something, Boomers? seniors, age apparently has zero barrier to being used by God. Age does not factor into spiritual usefulness. Somebody needs to hear that this morning. This might be the finest moment in Daniel's life, the moment he'll be most remembered for in this lifetime of faithfulness as an exile as he lives with integrity for the glory of God. And so as we wrap up this series, I think it's helpful just to maybe connect the dots, review some key events that get us to this point. In chapter one, Daniel and his friends chose integrity uh, with, a, with meals made of, you know, Campbell's vegetable soup while others ate at the keg. And uh, God's saying, I remember you. I have not forgotten you. Chapter two, Nebuchadnezzar's multi-layered statue was displaced by a heavenly rock, uh, the rock that doesn't roll, as Larry Norman uh, would say. And and God is saying, I will rescue you. Chapter three, um, one like the son of God appears with Daniel's friends in a fiery furnace to demonstrate God's Emmanuel principle, that I am here with you, even in the fire. And then chapter four Nebuchadnezzar's restoration from an insane animal uh, communicates God's vital message of I will restore the humble. And then an important contrast in chapter 5 reveals that the writing on the wall talks about God's loving warning of judgment to all people in all times. I will judge and remove Proud and the unrepentant, so we come to this concluding chapter of the biography portion, the final brick in the foundation of, of daniel's gospel message, his good news message, and I think uh, it prepares really for the for the amazing prophecies that remain in this book. What is the final gospel truth that a loving God will unveil through? This chapter. I don't think it's super complicated. It's a message we need to keep hearing, a message God gives perhaps more than any other in Scripture. The Lord allows an aged Daniel to face his greatest challenge in a lion's den, to say to his people, then, as he's saying to us now, trust me, trust me. Daniel has outlived all these rulers in Babylon. Darius the Mede is is the new top dog, the conquering ruler, who who like the Babylonian kings before him came to recognize the wisdom of Daniel, and Daniel uh, is selected. Uh, he's now a, a nonagenarian, a, a senior citizen. He's selected for the cabinet of this uh, of this new kingdom. And Daniel so excelled in his role that the king decided to put him solely in charge of the. Babylonian government. Now, were other cabinet members and lesser officials pleased with this choice? No, they were not. They tried to dig up some dirt to ruin Daniel, but he, he was too honest. None of, none of the trumped-up charges stuck. Often, um, a true person of integrity, of good character and reputation ends up attracting the biggest critics. Have you noticed that? I'm not talking about being a jerk for Jesus and, say, you know, um, and saying that you're persecuted. I mean you are truly being Christ-like and being resented for it. That sort of goodness and character, in a way, holds up a mirror to other people. And sometimes they don't like what they see. So they attack or diminish um, a truly noble person. So as we dare to be a Daniel in a in a modern 2023 Babylon, living increasingly like exiles, strangers in a strange land, it's just more incumbent upon us than ever to live a life of integrity, a life above reproach. God will ultimately bless it. He will. Maybe he'll give you favor in the eyes of of the culture and of influence. Put you in positions of power. And also, be prepared for the inevitable attack that will come. Ironically, for the very characteristics of integrity and righteousness and the stands that you take. Be prepared, church, for lions. We don't know if, if Daniel heard or read the prophecy of Jeremiah at the beginning of Israel's captivity, but whether knowingly or unknowingly, Daniel has honored the instruction from Jeremiah to, to seek the welfare of the city of their captors. Rocky preached on this in the summer. But wait, how, how can God ask us to work for the good of those who stand in opposition to him? Sometimes the answers to that can be complex, but the principle isn't. Uh, we are to bring the righteousness, the grace, the love, the good works, the kingdom of God to all dimensions of our life. Uh, the world, even the enemies of our God, which by the way, were you and I at one point in our life, um, We can share in a bit of God's nature, a bit of his heart through our actions and our work and our speech, where we live, where we play, where we work, where we study, um, and especially when people observe us when we struggle. So they plotted, Let's, let's use Daniel's righteous convictions to trap him. And the officials appealed to this pagan king's pride. Oh, king, they said, you're so great. No one should pray to anyone but you. It's actually an insult for anyone to recognize any greater one than you, your magnificence. Uh, Why not issue a royal decree which can't be challenged or altered, which will punish anyone who would insult your greatness by praying to anyone but you. Just remind me, what, what comes before a fall? Oh, pride, that's right. And the king's pride trapped him, and he ordered the lion's den to be opened, and those who prayed to anyone else but him would be thrown into this pit of hungry lions. And so Daniel faced his greatest trial yet, Now, let me just circle back to a theme in this book that keeps coming up and coming up. Maybe it's the most evident sign of Daniel's trust, and that is his faithful prayer. When this decree comes forbidding prayer to any other God upon penalty of death, Daniel does what he's always done. Three times a day, he got on his knees and he prayed, giving thanks to God just as he has, had done before. When devotion to God has consequences, life and death consequences, Daniel remained faithful. Will we, from his youth to his old age, in crisis and out of crisis, Daniel prayed. It's a prayer, by the way, that included thanksgiving. Thanksgiving. Now's not the time, Daniel. Well, apparently it is. So much uh, does he trust in God that he gives thanks for the grace surrounding him, despite a crisis that now envelops him. It's almost as though Daniel has, has already read the words of the Apostle Paul, who will write in the future, in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. He simply turned to God in trust as he always had. Here's how Eugene Peterson might describe the life of Daniel. One of my favorite sentences. Daniel's life was a long obedience in the same direction. Uh, Would that be my epitaph? Um, Would it be yours? A long obedience in the same direction towards God, obedient in every aspect of life. And by the way, we might be tempted to put Daniel in some sort of untouchable Bible hero category, you know, like decisions that are only possible for the biblical elite. But if that's your thinking, it actually kind of ruins his testimony. If we if we make Daniel's trust so unrealistic so unattainable we rob ourselves of the of the reality of this kind of faith this kind of courage and trust is possible for me and it's possible for you empowered by the holy spirit in us you can see daniel perhaps as one of the greatest success stories in scripture and i suppose that's true but that's only in light of Daniel being one of the most tested people in scripture. His victories kind of have short memories. We saw that with Nebuchadnezzar, his, his, his integrity, his obedience, his triumphs. You know what? It didn't change the culture of Babylon. Daniel ministered to this pagan land for, for almost a century. And what did he have to show for it? Almost nothing. Nothing. The account says that all the officials of the king turned against Daniel. There's no spiritual awakening that was recorded in the book of Daniel. Uh, No revival swept the land. This king remained unchanged. Kings and kingdoms had kind of come and gone. But wickedness remained pretty constant. Daniel's position and influence would sort of wane at times. So what was his reward for all this wisdom and supernatural prophecy and his faithfulness? Daniel is now an old man facing the jealousy of his peers, the godless arrogance of a king, and a death sentence in a lion's den. But all these trials, all this suffering would be worth it. I'm sure. I'm sure if there was only some evidence of, of fruit in his ministry, even among even among Daniel's own people. But you're actually hard pressed to find what we would call fruit. Uh, not only was Babylon unchanged, Israel seemed unchanged. There's no uprising to rescue Daniel. Um, no revivals that I know of. Daniel is the only one mentioned who still prays to God in the face of the king's edict. Um, I'll just say that I am so grateful. God has been so kind in my life in ministry that there's been this measure of, of fruitfulness. My first year in pastoral ministry, uh, 2000, 23 years ago. Oh, they... Uh, Youth pastor, teens, uh, first year, getting saved. Youth ministry tripled, quadrupled. Uh, it was like God was putting wind in my sails, perhaps knowing that things were gonna get a lot harder, a lot harder. And I hope I would have continued to serve and be faithful. And uh, even if I didn't get tangible results and you know, pats on the back, Um, or what we might call fruitfulness. But I don't know. I I pray my resolve would, would have been strong enough regardless. But here's Daniel, trusted the Lord, served him a long time faithfully, but maybe it seemed to him that the only fruit of his faith has been jealousy, accusation, martyrdom, Advancing years that uh, that will make him too old to ever see his homeland again. I read that that Leonardo da Vinci, that that Leonardo da Vinci, asked on his deathbed, "Did I do anything?" <laughs> all that intelligence, all those designs of that Renaissance man, and very little actually resulted from his efforts within his lifetime. And like so many others, it seemed. Um, Results and affirmation and success would come after their lifetime. And and despite all these trials and failures, God calls upon an aged Daniel to face yet another threat in his life. This is not the blessed life that prosperity preachers promise, is it? But I hope you actually are inspired by this kind of grit demonstrated in Daniel's life as something to aspire to, even if, hear me on this, even if we don't see the reward to our work in this life. I talked about it this summer. Would you be content to be the footnote of perhaps someone else's remarkable faith story? If God got the glory, do do you... Believe ultimately that God will overcome the dark forces of this world. Our, our trust doesn't eradicate our present trials, but when we believe that the tears of today will be dried in the victory of tomorrow, man, we will find the strength to live for our God. Frustration may come, But they can't overwhelm the purposes that God has for our lives. So so let me put it this way. You may resolve in your heart that you will serve the Lord at at any cost. If if it costs you everything. And that's that's a, a, a great sentiment that God will honor. But let me ask you this. Will you, like Daniel, not only live for the Lord, not only when it costs you everything... But when it seems like it changes nothing, will you still live for him? It's why the account of Daniel in the lion's den, I hope, not only encourages us to trust in God, but to live for him, especially when we're not sure how it's all going to pan out. The situation is really the climax of Daniel's life story. And I hope it inspires courage in us. I think these accounts have been preserved throughout time precisely for that purpose. Uh, Through Daniel's example, the Bible inspires us to live with courage when circumstances and the culture tempt us to, to compromise. The prophet knew that his commitment to God would cost him everything, his influence, his position, but he wouldn't compromise. Devotion to God trumped personal safety. I am very aware that there are people in this room, because of your faith in Jesus, it's cost you something. Uh, You have maybe experienced the ridicule of family and friends. And God says that he sees that And he will bless you and reward you because of it. But let's not forget um, that throughout history, and even today in 2023, we know that the cost many have paid for their faith is their life itself. The greatest number of Christian martyrs, those who have paid the ultimate price for trusting Jesus, didn't happen when Christians were being thrown into coliseums with tigers. The greatest numbers of martyrs have happened in our lifetime. That's, that's the truth. It doesn't get a ton of press, doesn't get a lot of attention, but it's happening right now. I, I am actually proud of our alliance heritage where, and I've, I've seen the pictures of this, where 19th century Alliance missionaries would pack all their worldly possessions in empty coffins before, before sailing overseas because they very much expected that they would give their lives for God. And our culture increasingly calls for a, a so-called tolerance that makes declaring the uniqueness of salvation in Jesus the one thing that is not tolerated. Consider just for a second how imposing Daniel's circumstances were. He's, he's alone in his stand of faith against the advisors and the king. The law, this unchangeable decree of the king, uh, opposed Daniel. Injustice ruled, idolatry dominated, um, Israel remained in powerless captivity. And there's no record of any of his countrymen rising up to give their support. What could one man do against such overwhelming, institutional, national evil? Who would even care if Daniel made this stand? You can see the temptation here, right? It's the temptation that argues that because it won't make a difference what I do, it doesn't matter what I do. It's the game children play with parents and adults play with God. Uh, When we want to get away with what we know is wrong, you know, while I was preparing this very message, Vicki came home with groceries. You need to know this. Vicki is simply an inherently better person than I am. Um, That's just the truth. And and, uh, she just shared a little anecdote about, you know, the... You, you order the groceries online and then pick them up. And sometimes they don't have everything that you ordered. And she wanted frozen strawberries. And they called and said, do you want Oh no, frozen raspberries? And they said, we don't have frozen raspberries. Do you want frozen strawberries? And she's like, no, that's OK. Just take it off. She gets there and calls. I'm ready. I'm parking lot three. Um, just, and she says, just a reminder, uh, no frozen strawberries. And they come out and load the car. And, of course, they have frozen strawberries. And uh, the guy loading it up says, just take the strawberries. I don't care. Take the strawberries. And um, I would have took the strawberries. <laughs> <laughs> Two warnings, you know? I won't ask you to raise hands how many would take the strawberries. But here's my wife saying... I don't want this kid, this young adult to think that he can kind of just take from his employer and it's all okay. There was an integrity issue for her. And I think when you have integrity in the small things, it sure builds up that muscle so that you will have integrity in the big things. You know, Goldman Sachs, the Houston Astros, Elizabeth Holmes, SNC-Lavalin, uh, Stop the Steal, Samuel Bankman-Fried, who's in trial right now, Andrew Cuomo, Prince Andrew, Aunt Becky from Full House and the, and the college admission scandal. You know, as diverse as these uh, institutions and people are, they shared one thing in common. People determined to either... Allow or do what was wrong because they believed that such wrongdoing was common and, and their objection wouldn't make a real difference. God is asking for our faithfulness regardless of the cost, our integrity. The sin may seem um, so large and, and kind of culturally ubiquitous that to oppose it actually places us in a position of ridicule, maybe even personal jeopardy. But God says, be courageous, live for me. Exile this morning, you will face ministry in difficult places. You will face crossroads wherein you can take the easy way or you can take the God way. And you may even wonder if, if the evil is too great for me to make a difference. I want to remind you this morning that Daniel was far from the last of a faithful remnant who gave themselves to God's purposes, even when it seemed no purpose was served. Believing that the Lord can change everything, either through us, uh, beyond us, after us, is, is what should keep us living courageously because we have Hope. Exile this morning, we should be known more than anybody as a people of hope. And unfortunately, when we talk about the importance of hope, you know, most people don't know what we're talking about. They immediately think of something that has nothing to do with the kind of hope that that Daniel had. It's not that they're stupid. It's not that Christians can't communicate. It's that we're using different dictionaries. Like, If you haven't noticed, the same word can mean different things to different people. When my parents said uh, a musician was sick, it meant they were in bed with a fever. When my girls say it, it means they're awesome. Um, People my age, you know, um, they think they know what a snack is. Uh, Popcorn, licorice, an apple. And then you hear a young'un actually call someone a snack, and I'll let you Google what that means. Uh, same words, totally different meaning. Language changes over time, always has, always will. It's the main reason that every so often we need updated translations of the Bible. The original text never changes, but, but the words used to translate the original text into our native tongue morph over time. The next translation of the Bible will say that young Daniel was a real snack, I think. Um, and But herein lies the problem with the word hope. It has come to mean something totally and completely different than the kind of biblical hope that Daniel had. Today, we use the word hope sort of as a wishful thinking. I hope you have a good vacation. or Or the the mental gymnastics of positive thinking. Don't give up hope. You can, you can beat this. But Daniel, Daniel's hope had nothing to do with visualization or positive thinking. He didn't wish that everything would turn out okay. He didn't visualize everything working out all right. He knew, as in a mathematical fact, that God was in control, he was in control of who's in control, and he knew everything that was happening to young Daniel. And if God was in control, there was no need to panic, even if sometimes he had no idea what God was up to. In other words, Daniel had hope in the biblical sense of the word. He had a deep-seated confidence in God's character and his sovereignty he staked his life on it. And, and this is the same kind of hope that the Apostle Paul refers to when he calls the return of Jesus our blessed hope. Paul doesn't mean that we hope Jesus returns in the same way that we hope our, our lottery number comes up. Um, it is a certainty that Jesus will return. And, and it, it be, it's so certain it becomes the organizing principle of our lives influencing our our priorities and our moral standards, even our willingness to be persecuted in his name. And that kind of hope isn't acquired overnight. It's, It's something we grow into the longer that we obey God and are faithful to him. It comes from walking with God and experiencing firsthand his power and his faithfulness. And when circumstances are hard and trials begin, We as exiles, more than ever, need to be people of hope. The trials may be at school, at work, uh, in your own family, where others are pressuring you to abandon your stand for the Lord. You may not be able to see any value or results from, from the stand you're making. Still stand strong. Still, put your hope in God because you are never alone when you stand for him. Notice how scripture records the direction of Daniel when he prayed his daily devotions. Uh, v- verse 10 in chapter 6. Why did Daniel direct his prayers to Jerusalem? Was, is Jerusalem like Mecca? Did, did you have to be facing the right direction when you prayed? Um, did God live in Jerusalem? No, of course, of course, Daniel didn't believe that God who had miraculously saved him time after time in Babylon only resided in Jerusalem. Why then did Daniel face Jerusalem when he prayed? Remember that Daniel is a prophet. And following this chapter of his autobiography, the next half of the book of Daniel's amazing prophecies, will include victories to come in Jerusalem. The captives from Israel will return to the holy city. Jerusalem will be restored. And from the ruins will rise a savior. The savior, this savior will defeat forever the enemy who prowls the earth like a roaring what? Lion seeking whom he may devour. Maybe Daniel's physical eyes could only see loss and danger, but somehow through the spiritual eyes of faith, Daniel saw so much more. And he looks to Jerusalem and he sees certain victory, he sees boundless hope. Daniel was faithful before the threat of a raging lion, and God shuts the mouth of those lions. And King Darius is, is flabbergasted. He praised the God of Daniel and ended up throwing Daniel's enemies into the pit instead of him. The sign of God's faithfulness that we that we all remember is Daniel's rescue from this, from this den. But the greater sign that proves the value of Daniel's hope for his nation and for, for us is kind of almost hidden in the last words of this chapter. Let me, let me just read it to you. This chapter ends with these words. So this Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and during the reign of Cyrus the Persian. Why is this so profound? Because it was under this ruler that the people of Israel began to return to their homeland. And because they returned to Israel, ultimately, the prophecy of a child who would be born in the city of David would be fulfilled. Jesus Christ, our Lord. God's promise finally was fulfilled according to the hope that Daniel maintained in his old age. The message to Daniel's people and to us here in exile is that our hope is never misplaced. We, we may have to wait to see the results of our faithfulness. And folks, Maybe we won't see it on this side of heaven, but our God will accomplish his purposes. He will. So we trust him and we live for him because we know that God shut the mouths of lions 2,000 years ago. And in the mouth of that raging lion who seeks to devour us today, um, we can put our trust in a savior who shuts that mouth. Complete and total victory is preordained. The gospel progresses in a timeline that God has designed to rescue people. Institutions may fail to reflect him. Empires may conspire to oppose him and his own people may fail, but the gospel prevails as God said he would. Outside of Calgary, Uh, near the Rockies, are some crazy good caves. And some men from my previous church and I chartered a guide, and we went caving deep. And at one point, some of you are already getting claustrophobic. At one point, our guide had us turn off any headlamp or flashlight or anything. Maybe, Maybe only those who've experienced something like this can relate to the kind of dark that is so dark. It's just the complete absence of light. You can't even experience that under the stars. It's just dark. And then one of these guys' cheap Indiglo watch came on. Now in any other context, even at night outside, you'd be hard pressed to even see any illumination from this pitiful watch. But in the utter darkness of the cave, it, it shone brightly. I think it might be the same with us. The darker it gets, the brighter our little light shines. Do not buy the lie that you don't matter, you do. Don't buy the lie that your response to evil in the workplace or your community or family or our nation does not matter. It does. 100%. Do not buy the lie that our gathering today does not matter. It does. That's because whenever a group of Christ followers gather together for prayer or worship or teaching or accountability or for fellowship, Jesus promises to show up. And when Jesus shows up, our living hope, courage is never far behind. Kids, I'm so glad that you're here. And you've been hearing about Daniel too. And I'm not gonna embarrass you or anything, but I have such hope for you guys. You're our next pastors and elders and influencers in the world. And would you allow me just to pray for you and pray over you? Because the decisions you have made now to follow Jesus, well, it's a decision you won't regret. I was your age or younger when I decided to follow Jesus. And sometimes I think those were the most passionate and courageous years of my life, actually. So I want to pray for you and send you like a missionary into your schools and into your hockey rinks and into your neighborhoods to be brave and to be at peace. Would you just stand and let me pray over you all? Just the kids, will you stand up? right on. Lord, I have been convicted and encouraged by the life of Daniel, a life with passion and wisdom and conviction and hope. And I pray those same attributes over these beautiful kids in the same way it was said about Jesus that he grew in wisdom and in stature and favor. Would you Grow these kids in wisdom and stature and favor. Father, help them and their friends to make the same kind of commitments that Daniel and his friends made so that they can live as instruments of your gospel presence where you've placed them. Keep them wise in their unique ways that we get defiled here in this Babylon. May the same heart that beats in Daniel beat in their chest. Give them hope, trust, and supernatural courage, I pray. Help them to stand their ground, to do what is right and let God take care of the rest. And God, the one who shuts lions' mouths, I pray that you would shut that lying mouth of the enemy, Satan, who only whispers lies to these kids. Replace those lies with your truth in Jesus' name, that they are sons and daughters of the King, that they have been made for a purpose, that they are filled with the Spirit, forgiven and free, strong and brave. In the name of Jesus, who modeled bravery for us when he went to the cross and all God's people said, amen. Amen.